0: ask you this, have you ever been the recipient of an act of kindness? And if so, how did it make you feel? And more importantly, did it inspire you to do the same? About 18 years ago, I was serving my first congregation in a small rural town called Bennett'sville, South Carolina, I was doing a youth fundraiser. I was the director of Christian education at the church, and together we were cooking a meal for 500 people, selling plates so that we could raise funds to go to our Montreat Youth Conference. We had done this in years past, and it was an annual thing that we had done, but this particular morning was like no other. We began to cook this meal on big pig cookers, not little grills, but big ones, 500 leg quarters, and we got up early in the morning and began to cook them. But as we were cooking them, something had happened. in one of the grills, uh, the gas, uh, I began to smell gas around the grill and realized that the wind had come in and blown out the fire. So turning off the gas, I opened up the grill and allowed it to aerate a little bit before I went to relight it. And when I went to relight it, it exploded on me and sent me back about five feet and gave me a flash burn in which I received severe second-degree burns up my right arm, my left arm, my face, my neck, and my leg. It put me in the hospital, and then I was transferred from Bennett'sville about three hours away to Charleston, to the Medical University of Charleston's burn center, and there I spent nine days in intensive care. Not really what I had anticipated with this particular fundraiser, if you know what I mean. In the midst of that, it was a really painful experience, to say the least, but the church responded very well, very loving towards us. But I remember particularly one day while I was there, uh, Angela was there with me. She had been staying at a hotel nearby and visiting with me during the visitation hours that were allowed during intensive care times. And we received a letter in the mail from a pastor friend of mine. And that letter began to explain his deep sympathy for us as a couple and for prayers for healing. But with that particular letter, he gave us a gift. That gift was a check written for $2,000 to help us with our expenses. Now, being 22 years old, serving my first congregation in a very small congregation, to say the least— Angela was teaching school at the time. We did not make a whole lot of money, and we certainly weren't financially prepared for such a thing to happen. Receiving this gift was an act of kindness like no other. And in that letter, the letter described how he had felt God's call to give this to us. He had received it as a bonus from his church. And he wanted us to have it with one caveat, one string attached. Be sure... That sometime in your own lifetime, that you in turn show the same kindness that you have received to someone else in need. Now I have to tell you, it blew us away that someone would do such a thing. But it also changed our lives because from that moment on, we wanted to show that type of kindness to anyone that we knew would be in need that we could help. And we've tried to do so to this day. You know, it kind of reminds me of a movie. Maybe you've seen this movie. It's called Evan Almighty. Evan Almighty is a modern-day story of Noah about a man named Evan Baxter who becomes a congressman, moves to D.C., and he wants to change the world. But God has a different plan for Evan. God calls him to build an ark in the middle of his neighborhood. Obviously, That would surprise you and me if God called us to do such a thing. And it does Evan, and he pushes God away, and he pushes God away to eventually he realizes that it really is God and that God is really asking him to do this. But he tells God, he says, Look, you know, this is really infringing on my plans. We need to settle into our new house. I mean, I'm a freshman member of Congress, and I need to change the world, and this is delaying my opportunity to do that. As you can imagine, God laughs at his plans. And then he tells them this. Do you want to know how to change the world, son? One act of random kindness at a time. One act of random kindness at a time. Now, in this movie, he's building an ark. An ark in the movie is an acronym for one act of random kindness kindness. The question is, is it true that an act of kindness can change the world? Today, we continue our sermon series, and we come to the fruit of the Spirit known as kindness, and we come to a story that many of us are familiar with in Scripture. In fact, it is the only miracle story of Jesus that is repeated in all four gospel accounts. All four of them. So maybe it's important for us to know this story. John tells us that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee to the far side, to the Sea of Tiberias, the, the western side of the sea where the city of Tiberias was. And there a great crowd began to follow him to where he was. And he and his disciples went up onto the mountainside, or really a hill there, and they sat down and thousands upon thousands of them came and gathered around them. John tells us that the Jewish Passover was near. And as you know, that is the Jewish remembrance of God's deliverance of of their ancestors from Egypt, delivering them from slavery. John's gospel portrays Jesus as the new Moses who delivers God's people So it's no coincidence in this moment that John talks about the time, Passover, and the place of this event, a mountainside, where it was Moses who was a part of the first Passover and who afterwards met with God on a mountain too called Mount Sinai. Now, John doesn't tell us what time of day it was, but if you go back and read the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find that it was late in the day, and it was around the time when folks would eat. Some had traveled a long distance to see Jesus, and Jesus did not want to send them away hungry. So he asked his disciple Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip's a little surprised at Jesus' question. I mean, first of all, he knows that they do not have the money to buy the bread. And second of all, even if they had the money to buy the bread, there were so many people there that they would need even more money in order to feed them a meal that would fill them up. Surely Jesus isn't serious about feeding these people. They should have come prepared and brought their own meal. Why on earth would these disciples, or Jesus for that matter, be responsible to take care of them? Can't they take care of themselves? You know, I'm sure Philip thought that, and I'm sure all the disciples thought that. Andrew overheard Jesus' question to Philip. proactively, he begins to look around to see if anyone actually did bring a meal. And in doing so, he finds a young boy who has brought five barley loaves and two small fish. Apparently, this little boy was willing to give his dinner to help out. But Andrew knows that it's not even enough to feed the thousands who had gathered there. It's just a drop in the bucket. In the midst of Jesus' kindness to care for all who had come to see him... His disciples, though, had lost sight of the most important thing. They were so focused on the enormity of the problem, the thousands who had gathered there around them, and the lack of funds to feed them all, that they forgot who had asked them the question in the first place. Hadn't Jesus, in John's Gospel, read the mind of Nathanael from afar? and knew what he was thinking before he even asked him? Hadn't Jesus changed water into wine at a wedding in Cana? Hadn't Jesus healed the sick before their very eyes? You see, the crowds had gathered there to see Jesus because they had seen him heal the sick, and they knew that he could perform miraculous things. That is why they gathered in the first place. So why had his own disciples forgotten this? But despite their lack of faith, Jesus had his disciples sit the crowds down. And he takes the young boy's meal, and after giving thanks to God, he distributes to them both bread and fish, to all who are seated. And John tells us that they all ate as much as they wanted. John says, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. There was more than enough food to be had. Jesus performs an amazing miracle, feeding over 5,000 men. But as Todd mentioned earlier, there were women and children there. So there was well more than 5,000 people who had gathered there on that mountainside And regardless of whether they should have been prepared or not, Jesus refuses to let their physical needs go unmet. And in doing so, he reminds them of the one who cares and provides for them at all times. God, the Father. But I find that so often we focus on the miracle of the feeding that we miss a really important part of this story. While Jesus performs a miracle that makes them believe that he is the prophet who was to come into the world, the one whom they were expecting, that's not the only thing that's going on here. Jesus' question to Philip is an important one that is easy for us to gloss over and miss completely. So I want us to take a look at it once more. Jesus says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had in mind what he was going to do. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? Jesus did not say, where shall I buy bread? He said, where shall we buy bread? This was a test to see if Philip was listening. See, so often when we are presented with a need or a problem, we get overwhelmed just like Philip did. We get fixated on the problem, the enormity of something that we know one individual or even a few individuals can't solve on their own. We clam up. And we come to the conclusion that there's nothing that we can do. So what do we do next? Well, we pray, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We pray to God that God would handle it, that God would take care of it for us. And that's not a wrong response. We should always seek God's help in anything that we do, especially when there is a problem that is over our heads. But that isn't necessarily how God desires to solve all the world's problems by himself jesus says to philip where shall we buy bread you see the story reminds us that jesus invites you and i his disciples to participate in his work together he extends compassion and kindness toward those who are in need that's what god does in fact kindness is an attribute of god a fruit of the holy spirit Titus chapter 3 verse 4 tells us this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Kindness flows from the life of Jesus. His compassion and His care helps us in our times of need. And in this instance, He delivered these people from their hunger and He showed them that He was more than just a prophet but he did not do it on his own. It was the kindness of a young boy offering what he had to give. That was what Jesus wanted to make this miracle happen. The boy was willing to participate by doing something to help. He exhibited kindness by sharing what he had brought for his own family, and he freely offered it to Jesus. Isn't this What Jesus desires from all of us? Jesus told his disciples earlier in Matthew's gospel, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You see, it's not enough for us to pray to God to handle everything. That's simply passing the buck so that you and I can be hands-off God desires for us to participate in his kindness in the world, and when we do so, we are exhibiting a faith that allows for God to make a miracle happen, even if our faith is as small as a mustard seed. Such a small faith, says Jesus, can move mountains. And I am convinced that that young boy who offered his dinner to Jesus that day had no idea that Jesus could take that meal and bless it in such a way that it could have the impact that it did. He just responded with what he had. And Jesus was able to multiply it. You know, it reminds me of a story about another young boy that I learned about when I had left with our middle school students to go on their mission trip a few weeks ago. I want to introduce you to a boy named Austin. He's four years old. And he is determined to change the world with one random act of kindness at a time. Take a look. We end the week with Steve Hartman and what everyone can learn
1: from a four-year-old. He's faster than a speeding stroller, more adorable than a wet kitten, and able to get a stranger's attention with a single courtesy. This is America's latest superhero. Don't forget to show love. And the only superhero with the power to feed the homeless. Now, why do you do that? You know what, Mr. C? It's just the right thing to do. Is it? Yes. You want honey? By day, Austin Rhine is a mild-mannered 4-year-old from Birmingham, Alabama. But about once a week, he turns into this alter ego. Would you like a sandwich? A superhero set on feeding as many homeless people as possible. Thank you. What's your superhero name? President Austin. Uh Uh-huh. President Austin. President Austin. President Austin. That's his idea of what the president is supposed to do. I was like, buddy, you have no idea. (laughs) But hey, I'm going along with it. TJ says this all began when they were watching a TV show about pandas. It showed a mama panda abandoning a baby. T.J. told his son the cub was now homeless. He says, what's homeless? I said, well, it's when you don't have a home and sometimes you don't have mom or dad around. I can tell what the follow-up question is going to be. Yeah, are people homeless? When I was a four-year-old, I didn't care about helping people. I did. I see. Once Austin learned some people are homeless and some are even hungry, he launched this caped crusade. Told his mom and dad that he wanted all his allowance and money they would spend on toys Here you go. to go toward chicken sandwiches instead. Oh, thank you, baby. You're welcome. Don't forget to show love. After he gives out each sandwich, yes, he gives each person that same bit of advice. Don't forget to show love. Don't forget to show love. He tells them, and most do, immediately. Well, oh, thank you. It warms my heart to see him. It don't warm anyone's heart. Yeah, he really did, man. Raymond Boss says You're this kid gives him hope. Mean, that's, that's, that's where it starts. Don't forget to show love. Everyone who meets Austin leaves with hope. Which is why, with any luck, someday President Austin won't be a superhero anymore. Being the homeless is the highlight of my life. He'll just be. A president. All right, come on, Austin. Steve Hartman on the road in Birmingham, Alabama. Fantastic.
0: Amazing, huh? A four-year-old boy who has nothing to offer. Nothing. Doesn't have a job. Doesn't have any money. Ask his parents. Listen, kids, <laughs> ask his parents to take the money that they would give him for his allowance and for toys and to go and to spend it on food for homeless people. And rather than contributing that money to a food pantry and giving it away, he takes the time to purchase sandwiches and to go out and to hand it out to one person at a time. With one caveat, to pay it for. Or as President Austin would say, don't forget to show love. Now, the truth is, is that Austin will never feed all the homeless folks in Birmingham, Alabama. Nor will he solve their homeless situation. Rather, he serves one sandwich at a time to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit called kindness. But don't think for a moment that this little boy isn't having an impact on the recipients of his radical kindness. You see, so often we think that if we just had more money or more resources or more courage that we could really make a difference in the world. Sometimes we focus on the logistical impossibilities limiting the potential opportunities that are before us. Sometimes, like Evan Baxter, we can become so preoccupied with our own plans that we fail to recognize the importance of God's plan right there in front of our faces. And sometimes we can try so hard to please God that we step on the toes of others who want to show kindness too, forgetting that God calls all of his disciples to work together to make it all happen. God tested his disciples to see how they would respond, to see if they would participate in his work, offering what they had so that he could provide the miracle. And it appears that they failed at that task and they were humbled by a child's kindness. But I think the disciples really learned a lot that day. They were reminded that Jesus could do the impossible, but that he chooses to do it with us. They were reminded that even the little things can make a huge difference for the kingdom of God and that sometimes we may never even know the full extent of how God can bless our efforts to extend kindness in his name. They were also reminded that one act of random kindness can change the lives of others for God's kingdom. And eventually, later on in Jesus' ministry, as it came to a close they would witness for themselves the greatest act of God's loving kindness as Jesus willingly gave his life as an atoning sacrifice around the exact same time that he performed this miracle known as Passover, saving them and saving all of us from our sins. This test of Jesus would not determine their self-worth, but it helped them grow and to learn and to trust Jesus in all things and to be willing to do what they are able without fear or hesitation. In church, I believe that Jesus still tests his disciples now. In fact, today he asks each and every single one of us, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? It's as if he's saying to all of us, try me, give me what you've got, regardless of how little or how insignificant you think that it is, and together we can make a miracle happen, displaying my radical, loving kindness to the world. The real question for us is whether or not we will take Jesus up on his offer. Job puts it this way, Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. So friends, let us be quick to show kindness to our friends and, like Austin, to those we may not even know. For you and I have experienced God's kindness in Jesus, and this kindness moves us to pay it forward that all may come to know Christ's loving kindness too. Friends, may we do so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen.